All right. Welcome, everybody. This is the Reconnection Project podcast, episode two. In this podcast series, we are looking at the connection between creativity and wellness. And we're having conversations with all these amazing people that are actively thinking about and integrating creativity and wellness in their work and in their life. I'm Barnaby King. And I'm Molly Jager. And uh, I'm a clown practitioner, teacher. And I'm a coach. I help people get out of pain. And, you know, we've been talking to these experts and every single conversation is inspirational and we learn a huge amount, right? Yes. And this one especially was wonderful. Yeah. This week's guest is particularly special to us um, because just a few weeks after we interviewed him, he passed away. His name is Dr. Carl Hammerschlag. I had met him just a few months previously, in fact, I just happened upon a post about this course called Humanitarian Clowning 101. And being a clown teacher, I thought this would kind of just help me learn some new tools and techniques, some ideas about humanitarian clowning. Which is, by the way, clowning in all kinds of, well, real world places where people need some laughter and some light, like conflict zones, hospitals, and all kinds of places Mm. like this. Yeah. Now, I went and took this course and... From the moment that Carl came on the Zoom call, I was transfixed. I mean, he was mesmerizing. When he talked, it was like listening to the soul of the earth. (laughs) It was just incredible. He could just talk for hours and I, I could listen to it. And we spent all the time doing these kinds of amazing exercises of just deep listening Uh, sharing our truth with each other, getting in touch with each other. It was about this kind of like very intense communication, Mm. really, which didn't seem to me to be about clowning at all. Well, it wasn't what you were expecting, maybe. Right. Yeah. And it's interesting because that is the very heart of clowning, isn't it? Communication and deep listening and connection. Yeah, totally. I mean, it absolutely is clowning. It just wasn't what I had expected. Right from the start, I just learned a huge amount from Dr. Carl Hammerschlag. And then when we invited him to come on the podcast, we just enjoyed that conversation so much and got so much from it. Yeah. And what you're about to hear is this kind of full circle connection all the way back to what he learned as a young psychiatrist working in New Mexico and then how that connected to his work and understanding of clowning in his later life. Yeah. And he also talks about truth fairies. So listen out for that. What is a truth fairy? Exactly. You'll have to listen and find out. (laughs) Here's Carl. I hope you enjoy the conversation as much as we did. I'm a psychiatrist uh, and I am am a clown and I write and I speak and I teach. And, you know, I do those things. I did not learn what it meant to be healthy in medical school. In medical school, I learned what it meant to be sick. I was an expert in the diagnosis of illness and pathology, and and health was essentially a diagnosis of exclusion. If you weren't sick, if you couldn't put a name on the disease, then you were healthy. Then uh, I joined the US Public Health Service as a psychiatrist for the Indian Health Service, and that was a life-changing experience for me, where I learned what it meant to be healthy, because health, from a native perspective, means balance and harmony and truth, another whole word for health. Ojo is the same word for truth and balance and beauty and the great spirit. Oh, what a wonderful concept. I mean, to be healthy means to be 
kind of in balance in mind, body, and spirit, that what you know, what you say and do, and what you feel are all telling the same story. Hmm. I think in some ways for me, when you say that, it's even, it's hard to conceptualize. It's hard to feel into what that would mean to use a word for all of those things together. We learn to give a dominance to the head, to the mind, and we tend to ignore the body and spirit. We say things we don't mean, we mean things we don't say, and we are drowning in bullshit culture. It is drowning in make-believe and inability to be able to tell whether anybody's telling the truth. You can't build a civilization based on mistrust and division. You know, you have to find some other way to talk. And, you know, how do we get in touch with those spirit, those heart parts of ourselves? How do we open ourselves up to that learning? And as healers, it seems to me, you know, this is the test. Mm. Tell us a little bit, Carl, about why you prefer that word healer. You know, you have a medical training education and you were a doctor, are a doctor, but you've kind of expressed the preference to think of yourself as a healer. Yeah. Can you talk a little bit about the difference? There's a difference between a doctor and a healer. I mean, a good doctor can make the diagnosis, treat the patient and prescribe the appropriate remedy. That's a good doctor. A great doctor can make the diagnosis and uh, treat the patient and hopefully add some kind of preventative component, like what they might do to prevent getting sick in the future. But a healer, you know, can do all that and connect with the person at this level, that even in a short period of time, you can connect with people to this truthful, heartfelt, level, Mm. in which I'm going to tell you my truth. I assume you're going to tell me yours. I'm going to listen to your story and pay attention to you. I think that uh, a doctor moves to a healer when there is a relationship with the person that they're working with. I'm going to do the best I can, but I'm going to be there and in the moment. And clowning is how I came to how it's possible to be able to do that in a compacted period of time. Right. That's so interesting. Tell me about your the arc of from when you graduated medical school, you went to, was it a hospital on a reservation? In Santa Fe, New Mexico. Then uh, I've been involved in Indian country. I was chief psychiatry for the Indian Health Service in the Phoenix area for uh, 16 years. I knew something about clowns from a native perspective and the importance that they held in the culture and the fact that they were sacred. I mean, not only were they ridiculously funny, poignant, and sometimes up in your face accusatory, but there was a sense that uh, the purpose that they served was uh, to connect us with ourselves and that they had an ear to the great spirit because they were a little peculiar, you know, did things a little backwardly, uh, looked at the world from a different perspective, saw things, with different kind of eyes so that they help us look at the landscape again. So they become the messengers. And was that your first encounter with clowning? (laughs) I was 50 years old. I mean, before I started publicly clowning. So I was aware of the sacred clown, but I had never crossed my mind to be a public clown until I met Mm. Patch. Mm. When did you meet Patch Adams? And how did that relationship come about? I met Patch Adams in the 90s. I was, Patch and I were speaking at a meeting. Uh, and he was talking about, you know, love is a healing strategy. And I was talking about 
how it is that we inspire people to become the principal agents in their own healing. I came a little early, I saw him, and uh, he got 75 dentists, which are, you know, technologically quite detailed, interested in exactitude, reproducible results, reliability, and he got about 75 dentists to dress up in whatever they could find in the hotel, and they paraded on the streets of Telluride, Colorado. And I thought anybody who could make those kind of connections with that kind of facility is uh, somebody I would like to spend some time. We, we decided to stay in touch. Uh, we got together on the day that he happened to receive a costume from his costume maker that was a toilet. I mean, toilet. And uh, it was a white lycra body suit with hot and cold running faucets on the chest and the tool belt. And on top, like a football vest, was this toilet. And you put the toilet over your head so the only thing you could see were your eyes. Wow. That's all they saw. They just saw the toilet and the eyes. And I looked at that and I said, I have got to put that on. I mean, this is what I do. I am a toilet. People come and they dump on me. <laughs> dump on you. <laughs> and he said, listen, let's go out, put it on. You don't have to say anything. I put it on and I went with him. And it was, without a doubt, one of the most hysterical experiences in my life. Wow. Dressing as a toilet and only making toilet sounds with a little machine that passed all kinds of gas and melodic uh, symphony. And what happens? And kids, you know, come and adults, they disappear. But uh, to watch the nature of the play, Right. Um, an act of engagement. And when I started that, we began to work together in running some clinics during good night clown trips, which, you know, was another life-changing experience. Yeah. I want to just pick up on a couple of things you've been talking about, which have to do with this idea of creativity, right? What do you think the role of creativity is in wellness and in your work? Creativity is simply the result of a prepared mind and a serendipitous moment. Your mind is prepared, you know it, you understand it, you have some experience, whatever. And you're in the right place at the right time and you have that kind of aha moment. Creativity for me means the ability to somehow be present, be aware, and also be open to somehow being receptive. It requires somehow that connection. Clowning, for me, has been the best way I know to get in touch with this heart part of myself, mm. to separate me from my head, which has always been my dominant mode, to try to explain and answer the questions, all that kind of stuff, and to get more into this open-hearted mode, to connect with people at that level. I put on my clown a flamingo ballerina, a ridiculous, I'm six foot six, and with the headdress, <laughs> I'm almost seven feet tall with pink tights, unitard, and a little tutu, you know. <laughs> you have to connect with people that's something other than your head. Right. And if you could be that ridiculous, you know, that disarming and say, here I am, you know, it's ridiculous and we are ridiculous. People react. I mean, they sometimes laugh or giggle, sometimes collapse hysterically, sometimes step away. But it's a great equalizer. We need to be able to look at each other straight so that we can connect in some way build relationships based on trust and uh, taking care of the health of humanity. And I think the clown serves that sacred purpose. 
we need to be reminded of uh, both our place and what's not our place. Which is a kind of a, a role that's, that is missing. And I'm wondering, in our society, right, it often seems to be that person or that role who brings balance and harmony doesn't exist. Everyone's sort of in a status battle and everyone is against somebody else. There's this kind of conflict at every level. And who is there? You know, where are these clowns? Who, who is there to bring this balance and this harmony in our modern society? Well, I think there are a lot of people out there who are still doing clown work. You know, I would like to explain that. We have, you know, global truth fairies. I mean, clowns who are comfortable in talking to people about really being there in truth, comfortable with themselves, not just in being comfortable in listening to somebody else, but being an example of the kinds of things that we're talking about, that you can connect mm. with, that promote understanding, communication, that build relationships that are based on trust take the opportunity to talk to each other in a different way. I would like to see those people on street corners at immigration centers. I wanted to go down in Nogales when immigrants were piling in. Just sit at the fence. You know, you don't have to do anything. You just have to be something. Something that reminds one, even in that blink of a moment of chaos and despair, that they cannot take from us our shared humanity. That you can still connect at that heart level and understand that in the loving connections, it gives rise to hope. We inspire people to dare to imagine. And creatively, each of us does it in our way. Molly, you know, movements and energy work, Barnaby and your clown work, you know, you find a way to tell that story. Mm. You connect at that level in which they know you're actively listening. You're not going to do ever intentionally anything that's hurtful and that they can trust that what you say is what you mean, and responding to your intuitive soul. Yeah. There's something that's so amazing about that idea of you in a pink tutu flamingo costume, and I've actually seen it, (laughs) but it's incredible. When we did the street clinics, you know, I was not always in full regalia, but I was always in clown, in clown nose and clown attire that is flamingo-oriented when we do visits, uh, but not in my parade form. But people know that something special is going to happen here. You're going to separate time and space and know that something is going to go on here that you might want to listen to. Everybody's got a story to tell that somebody else needs to hear. And everybody Mm -hmm. needs to be listening to somebody else's story because you don't have to do the same old stuff in the same old way. And most of us are confronting the same buffalo shit. We're going to find better ways to hear each other, to hear each other. So you, you can learn something. Learn something. We were curious about, you know, the doctors in the West have this kind of aura still of status and authority and mystery. And I think it's hard for people outside it to understand what really goes on in medical training and how doctors are kind of shaped to think and behave in certain ways. What could you tell people about what it's actually like? We are becoming super specialized, right? And we funnel into doctors the mastery of technology and the genius of the miracles of our science in the development of creative designer drugs to the elimination of genetic causes of disease. You know, this is what you need to know. So you focus in an age of overwhelming information, wanting to know more and more about less and less. 
So you have to kind of specialize. You have to increasingly focus not on the entirety as we look at people, but kind of on their particularities, what their disease entities are. Nobody's looking at the whole person. We don't have time because we're reimbursed on the basis of diagnosing illness and then filling out a form that's got a number for this clinical syndrome. We are not going to influence healthcare that way. If we don't inspire people to become agents in their own healing, to touch them in some way and remind them what they have to do. That's an interesting perspective. I think it's so valuable because um, the way that we learn and what we learn shapes the way that we act and behave and see the world without us necessarily even realizing it. You know, so what we learn at school and how things are presented to us affects our worldview, but also the systems that we live in. This seems like kind of very clown related as well, like how you come into the system inside and be an agent of change. It strikes me as just something that starts with awareness. So that information of what's feeding into my brain, what's feeding into my perspective, and then being able to play with awareness. That's really interesting. I could not have said it better myself. Oh, really? (laughs) Kind of mull it in your mind as you, as you allow it to kind of uh, stew and uh, marinate. Yeah. And that's what we want to do, you know, we want to marinate people's minds and possibilities. You know, we live in a culture that is etching away at hope because it emphasizes only what divides us and the hardening of the lines between us. We're listening to each other less and less, you know. We've got to find some other way to move from that divisive separation. In a model, you know, we call the talking circle model. You know, you're going to listen to what somebody else says. You're not going to interrupt. You're going to look at your preconceptions uh, and see if you can still hear something. And I think that clowns are the healers of the spirit, that they don't just entertain. And we dramatically underutilize our capacity to connect from that place of truthful soul and that commitment of being in this moment. Uh, with one other human being in an age of loneliness, isolation, and despair, Hmm. uh, makes a difference. We need to be listening to each other more. Yeah. You've said so much about clowning that I think a lot of people who don't have touch point for that, other than like the birthday clown, are going to be like, what is that? What is he talking about? I have no idea, no reference for this idea of clown as healer. (laughs) I don't know anything about clowning. I don't know any other way to say this. I have virtually no skill, no talent, no musical ability. I can't juggle steel balls. I can't even do two tennis balls if I start shaking. I mean, I am hopelessly inept, but I am not a performance clown. Right? I'm a humanitarian clown. I dress up in whatever I'm looking like, ridiculous, and I connect in some way. You know, I may draw mustaches and beards and little tattoos, and I may let the kids uh, write on me or leave me an autograph or tell me their story that's important and, uh, and feel them and let them feel me, whatever it takes to somehow establish a connection there. You know, if you come to it with an open heart and that you are not afraid, I mean, that, you know, here I am. The worst thing that can happen is somebody not respond. But if you set the stage and people get a sense, you know, I'm here. I'll never do anything in any way that, uh, that would be hurtful. I, uh, I know that you're not going to hurt me either. My expectation is 
We'll tell each other what it is we think and feel and tell each other the truth. I'll do the best I can to be with mm. you. I think that gift is a blessing. This is very evident in the workshop that I've been doing with you, Carl. And um, my first reaction when after the first session was, uh, oh, this is different from what I was expecting because I was expecting what my understanding of clowning. And it wasn't like that at all. It was all about how to open oneself up to another human being as truthfully as possible, how to create connection with another human being. And there were lots of different exercises and techniques that we used to do that. On reflection, it's all clowning. Everything we did in the course is clowning. You know, my own background and training with Sue Morrison, for example, is fundamentally about connection. Even though what she's teaching is a kind of clown as entertainer to some extent, the base of that, the fundamental basic technique is connection. How do you establish that heartfelt connection with another human being in the space? And sometimes it's with words, but more often it's what you just described, complete silence and just eye contact for as long as it takes to feel that there's been a connection, a dialogue with that other person. And what she says is that until you have that connection, it doesn't matter what you do, what funny gags you do or tricks you do or skills you show off. If you don't have that basic connection, it's not clowning. Indeed. We wanted to now talk a little bit about the healing core itself, Carl, and like, what is your vision for it? The healing core began as a result of our doing these clinics in the streets and that we could somehow do mental health clinics without calling them that, but just an opportunity to talk to somebody about anything you want to talk about that you might like, not likely to be asking somebody else. Maybe even questions you don't want to hear the answers to yourself, but it didn't make any difference. It was an opportunity to talk. We set aside a little space. We did a training workshop at the first Clown Town Healing Fest in 2016, an extraordinary experience in which we brought a community together to explore all of these alternatives and in which we trained healthcare professionals in participating in what we call the Truth Clinic. These are all clinicians. They are not all PhDs and doctors. These are community health workers, but whose primary role and task is working with people and helping them. We want to get people talking better to each other and communicating in a way that reminds us of what's possible. We cannot somehow heal unless we connect first with ourselves and then with somebody else. You got to be willing to do that. And uh, there are ways that we can open ourselves up to doing that. That's what we did in the Clown Healing Principles Workshop, which has nothing. We never talk about clowning. And it's all, as Barbie suggests, it's all clowning. Right? It's using those principles we talk about that we know can be impactful, just in touching in some way a piece of someone. We're not always quite sure how it happens, but something happens. If you open yourself up, something good is going to happen. And how to trust your intuition. Without that, you can't connect. How can people get involved with the, with the healing core or help you? It might, it might, but, you know, we're in the midst of our development, so I'm hoping they will continue to hang with us and follow us because we just did this initial one, uh, this inaugural uh, so we would just get down the principles, some ideas of what it is we hoped might happen. And so 
And if people want to hear more, we'll do that. Mm. But there was some urgency of time because I am slowing down significantly. If you want some advanced clowning, we're interested in training truth fairies. These people that we are talking about, people who want to go deep. It will be difficult and challenging. Ordeals, trials, creating ceremony. All things intended to open up one's intuitive soul. Rituals, ceremonies, appreciating the sacred in all things, expand one's relational repertoire. Mm. All the messages you can get in your intuitive soul. But it seems to me this kind of curriculum is as important as anything else that's being offered in universities and postgraduate level about how it is we influence change and heal better in community. You know, we are building a, a tribe of greater commonality. People whose appreciation of these elements that we're talking about and the sacred work of clouds, that sacred healing work. Mm. I love this term truth fairies. I think that's super exciting and really needed. I like this idea that um, fairy being this magical creature that in some ways only the children can see. That's what they used to say. And my, my good friend in the UK, oh yeah, we can't see fairies in her accent. We can't see fairies, only children can. This idea that it's like through the child's eyes, you know, these people come into this space, the, the children's space where reality isn't set in stone yet, where there's more play and experimentation. And and we need to get back into that child. Yeah. And the clown allows us to open ourselves to that child, gives us legitimacy. You got to be willing to get back into that child because they are less guarded against their intuitive certainties. Yeah. Yeah. You know, Carl, so I work with um, people that are in chronic pain. And sometimes I think, I need to speak to them. I need to reach out to them and use their language. But sometimes the complete antidote to that is really just having fun and enjoying life and entering into that kind of space, shall we call it that clown space of connection with oneself and with that curious, playful relationship to the world. And in some ways, just want to say, hey, let's not even say that word pain anymore. We need to because we can't, you know, be afraid of it. But let's just talk about the fun and the play and, and rejig our whole perspective. And that's lovely. Better said than I. We need to come together. Just uh, remind each other that the work we do is holy. Mm. It's holy work. Well, thank you so much, Carl. What an honor to meet you. And thank you for giving us this time for this wonderful conversation. It's been really eye-opening. I'd like to listen to you kind of reframe whatever ideas in your words that excite me and remind me of my own hopefulness and joy for the work that you are doing. Wow. What a great conversation. Yeah, an amazing human being. Mm. What a great privilege and pleasure it was to talk to him. And he just reminds us all of the importance of what we're doing. Yeah, I was so glad to yeah have that opportunity because every time, you know, you were so enthusiastic and enthralled about him and he is very generous. And in a way, that was his 
big gift was being generous and in his knowing mm. about the importance of this work and sharing the importance of it in that way. It's a great loss. But you say loss, but he contributed so much during his lifetime that it feels like a gift. It's interesting because, you know, I studied Feldenkrais and I think in lots of different modalities, people can get really into the study of the details and the mm, knowledge and the learning. Like the whether, science of it. Yeah, whether it's like medical school and knowing all the information and being an expert or in Feldenkrais, it would be all the different kinds of ways that the body is functionally connected, the anatomy, all the little tricks and hacks and things like that. Kind of geeking out on, the, on all that stuff. Yeah. And in a way, you can really do that to a fault because you can lose that human connection. And for me, in my own particular practice, I found that that would take me further away from being able to help the person the more I got into that kind of headspace. And really what shifted things entirely was being able to uh, kind of leave all of that, quote, knowledge behind, that expertise that people so often strive for, that I was striving for, and just be present with the person mm. and who mm. they are in that moment and how they perceive themselves in that moment and mm. you know where they would like to be, where they would like to move toward. And yeah. yeah. Just being in that space of honesty in myself and with other people is what turns on that connection and turns on that healing potential. Yeah. Although, as I mentioned earlier, Carl did pass away a few weeks after we interviewed him. His work and his legacy are just going to live on and keep thriving for years and years to come because... Because it's great work. Yeah. He set in motion something. What he was doing... Uh, was surrounded by other great people and that work continues. So he was talking about truth fairies, you know, out there in the world. And there is a whole bunch of truth fairies you doing this work. You could be a truth fairy. And you could be a truth fairy. <laughs> <laughs> of your own kind. Yeah. Or... You could be a truth fairy, Molly. I am a truth fairy. There we go. Totally. If this intrigues you and you want to know more... Yeah, go to thehealingcore.com and you can find out more about their work. We'll put the link in the show notes. But the website is amazing. It's full of uh, videos of Carl, really cool information. Lots of resources. R pictures of him in his flamingo suit. Yeah, which uh, you got to see. And you can get in touch with the people who are running the workshops and keeping the healing core and the truth fairy legacy alive. Thank you, Carl. This one is dedicated to you. It was an honor knowing you and talking to you. So the journey goes on. Yeah. What's the next stop on our journey? Well, next, we are actually going across the ocean. Across the pond. Across the pond, on over to speak with Paul Poiwoli. Yeah, he's based in Denmark. Mm, travels around Europe all over, and Hong Kong. Yeah, Paul is amazing. He, he's really an artist for life. In fact, even the way that he walks around a supermarket is like a creative process for Paul. It is. Yeah. You'll, you'll never walk around a supermarket in the same way again. Yeah. Yeah, we promise. Until then. Bye.